Well, good morning, church. Once again, it's good to be with you all. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I just wanted to remind us of one next one last thing. You know, when we have our uh, workshop next week for the for the outreach to build those crosses and to uh, sew those tracks. Um, uh, we're going to have food after church for that. And so we just need to know uh, who's coming to that. So if you wouldn't mind signing up if you plan on coming to that and uh, just so we can make sure we have enough food. Also wanted to share, yesterday we had uh, our men's breakfast and then after our men's breakfast we had a work day. And can I tell you, our guys took care of business around here. We had guys walking on the icy roof. We had guys tearing down things, fixing things, replacing lights. And so we're just so blessed uh, for, for all those uh, uh, guys in the church who, who uh, came to fellowship to eat, but also to work as well. And so uh, that was a blessing indeed. Well, I had an opportunity to read an article this past week that uh, shared that the average age that humans live to these days is 70 nine years. Now, some of you are, are older than that. Most of you are younger than that. But on average, the average age is 79 years of life. But the article not only talked about the average number of years we live on this earth, it also talked about the, the, the places where a majority of our time goes. And if you live 79 years on this earth, a majority of your time will go to sleeping. If you live 79 years, you're going to spend, according to this article, 26 years sleeping, and then seven additional years trying to get to sleep. <laughs> Some of us say, yeah, that's me. Uh, secondly, a majority of our time is spent working. 13 years will be spent working, and then an additional year of our life will be spent working overtime. Uh, some of the other places we spend our time, unfortunately, is, is on a screen, uh, this, this told us TV or social media will spend 11 years on that, on average. Uh, we'll spend four years eating, three years vacationing, one year socializing. I found this one interesting. Getting ready. Men will spend 46 days getting ready. But women, on the other hand, 136 days. <laughs> Some of our guys are saying, I married her. Yeah. <laughs> You know, of all the areas we spend our time, what I wanted to focus on this morning is our time spent in the workplace. Uh, if we spend 13 years of our lives on average in the workplace, in an additional year in overtime, what kind of employee has God called us as believers to be? We're going to answer that question in 1 Peter chapter 2. I'd invite you there in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at verses 18 and following, we'll be reading all the way to the end of the chapter in verse 25. Uh, you know, as you make your way there in your Bibles, it's interesting to note that uh, this section of, of 1 Peter introduces us to the theme in which God calls us to a life of submission. Uh, we have been called as believers and as Christians to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. To submit our minds, to submit our hearts, to submit our, our lives to him. And as we submit to Christ in all things, we've also been called to submit to the authorities that he has placed over us. In verse 13, last week we talked about it in chapter 2, how we've been called to submit to governing authorities. This morning we're going to talk about submission to authorities in the workplace as we, as we consider this timeless principle as it's expressed between servants and their Masters, And so, uh, when it comes to being an employee, what kind of employee does God call us to be? First Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Would you stand in honor of the reading of the word? Verse 18 reads this way. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you are called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin nor deceit was deceit found in his mouth who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but commend, committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. 
For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The word of the Lord, y'all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. You know, as we get to walk through 1 Peter and continue to take a look at what a life of submission looks like, we're going to take some time to talk this morning of the, about the kind of employee that God calls us to be. Now, if I could break down our text for us, I'd break it down into two sections. The first one is the kind of command we've been given to obey in verses 18 to 20, and then the example we've been given to follow in verses 21 and following to verse 25. I'd like to begin this morning by talking about the command that we've been given to obey. What kind of employee has God called us to be? The text tells us a submissive one. You know, some of us walked into church this morning and we're thinking, well, that was not the message <laughs> I was hoping to hear this morning. But as we unpack this command, well, what do we mean by it? You know, as we walk through our text, the first thing we see, the first word in the text that we see are the recipients of the command. It says, servants, be submissive. Now, when we're talking about servants, the kind of servants we're talking about here can also be translated slaves here. Um, uh, we're household servants or household slaves. If you take a look at the original Greek here, you'll notice that it's not the typical word that is used to translate into slave like doulos. That's a, a typical word that's used, but it's a word that means household slaves. Now, in the first century, if you were a household slave, uh, you didn't work out in the mines. That was hard work. You didn't work out in the fields, but you worked in the household, and there were different tasks that you had. It's interesting to note in the first century, you had doctors who were slaves in the household. You had teachers, managers. And so these were individuals sometimes who were more educated than their masters, and some servants and slaves had slaves of their own. And so first and foremost, we see that these were individuals who were household slaves. Secondly, the kind of servants we're talking about here in our text uh, are those who uh, are not a part of an institution based on race, but are, based, are a part of an institution based on social class. You know, we have a tendency to look at slavery through the lens of our history of, of, of our country, but when we take a look at slavery in the first century, in no way are we condoning slavery, certainly not. But in the first century, it was different than the kind of slavery that you may take a look at in the history of our country. Uh, now, there were a number of ways someone could become a servant or a slave. It's interesting to note that a majority of the Christians in the early church were servants, and a majority of them were slaves. Some people were, uh, were, became slaves because they were prisoners of war. Others became slaves because they were kidnapped. But there were some who were slaves simply because they fell on hard times economically. They couldn't make ends meet. And so they chose, similar to becoming an indentured servant, to sell themselves into slavery. Now, in the first century, some people could actually also buy themselves out of slavery. Uh, but when we're talking about servants and slaves in the first century, we're talking about it from the perspective of understanding it was more based on social class, at least then, than it was based on race. Now, uh, I want to share this with you. When Peter says, servants, be submissive to your masters, uh, I want to say this very clearly, he is not condoning slavery. When he says be submissive to your masters, the manner in which Peter goes at it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is, is, is not condoning it, but saying if it already exists, this is how slaves or servants should respond to the institution. They should be submissive. Now, our immediate thought is if you have an unjust authority over you, don't submit, rebel. You know, we're not going to submit. We're going to be, be rebellious. We're going to fight against the system. But what we see here, it says servants be submissive. Thirdly, the kind of servant we're talking about here is a servant or a slave that doesn't exist today. At least in the first century idea of things, these servants and slaves don't exist today. But I will tell you this, the principle still applies to those who find themselves under the authority of another, similar to a relationship between an employee and an employer. And so this morning, we're going to take this text and apply it to the relationship between an employee and an employer in which we find ourselves under the authority of another. 
And so when it refers to servants, it's speaking to those who are under the authority of another. It could be a volunteer who comes under the authority of another person. It could be paid staff in regards to hourly pay or or salaried. But regardless, if you have authority over you, this is the command we've been given. What kind of employee have we been called to be? It says, servants be submissive. Text doesn't say be rebellious. The text says be Submissive. Be submissive to your masters with, all, with the fear of God. Now, when it says be submissive, we were introduced to this idea of submission back in verse 13 of our text last time we were together. We were told to submit to every ordinance of man or to submit to authorities within the government. And as we define the idea of submission, it's unpopular in our culture today, but we defined submission three ways. First, submission is about order, it's about honor, and it's about obedience. First, when we're talking about being submissive, whether to governing authorities or being submissive as servants between their masters or employees and then their employers, we're, we're reminded that there is an order that is set there. Uh, the word submit uh, that is connected to the same word in verse 13 uh, is the Greek word upatasso, which means to align yourself under the authority of another. It's a military term, to align yourself under the rank of another. And we're reminded that there is an authority order that God has set, that those who are under the authority of another would submit. So submission is about order. Submission is also about honor. You know, when it comes to those bosses or those in authority over us who are good and gentle with us, it's easy to honor them. But when it comes to those who are harsh and those who mistreat us, and especially mistreat us unjustly, our immediate response is not submission. Our immediate response is not honor. Our immediate response is to talk about them behind their back. Our immediate response is to not work as well as we should. Our immediate response is not to honor them, but the text, when we're talking about submission, is honoring those who are in authority over us. And in a moment, we're going to see that honor is is not dependent on whether they are deserving of that honor or not. And so what we're reminded of when we're talking about submission, we're talking about honor. Now, some of you are asking, why should I honor those who don't deserve honor? Well, we were reminded of our motivation back in verses 11 to 12, where all of this comes into context. In verse 11, we were reminded that we are sojourners and pilgrims. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are heavenly citizens who have earthly responsibilities. And then in verse 12, we learned that we are to shine the light of Christ in the dark world around us. And we are to point other people to Jesus so that on the day of visitation, they glorify God. How do you shine the light of Christ in the workplace when you have a boss who's cruel or crooked? Or when you have a boss who may be a good boss, simply by, be, by, by your submission to them. You respect the order structure that God has set you. You honor that person, whether they're deserving of it or not. It's about honor. And thirdly, submission is about obedience. When we're talking about submission in the workplace. We're talking about taking a look at your job description and working hard to meet the qualifications thereof. If you are an employee, that means you work hard, you wake up on time, you get there on time, you're the best worker that there is. You know, when we're talking about Christian employees, we're talking about the kind of people that, whether they're believers or not, if they're in a position of authority over us, they should say, I don't know about those Christians, I may not believe what they believe, but man, those Christians are the best workers to hire. If you want to know it from me, if you're going to hire someone, make sure you hire a believer, if we're going to be an employee, we should be the hardest worker there is. This morning, I just want to take a moment to, to share this because it's on my heart. In, in regards to working hard, especially if I can speak to men in the room this morning, those of us who, who, who have a unique kind of work, and all of us have been called to work in a particular way that God has called you and I to, to, to go to bed tired. 
I think sometimes we're so worried about being burnt out at the end of the day and, and get it, getting your head on the pillow that, that instead of uh, uh, going to the, the side of, hey, we, 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 uh, we work too hard, we find ourselves going to the other side of not working hard enough. And I'd like to suggest this morning that as men, we should be able to go to bed hungry, that we work, uh, go to bed hungry, go to bed tired, <laughs> that we should be at the end of the day so exhausted so overwhelmed just by how much we've invested in the workplace that we put our head down and we go to bed tired. You know, it should be the kind of thing that when you walk into the, into the door, you've got to prepare your heart and say, Lord, you've got to prepare me as I'm going to minister. If I get children in the home, I'm going to minister to the hearts of my children. I'm going to shepherd their hearts. And you need to prepare your heart because you just got off a, a tough work day and I need to shepherd the, my wife's heart as well. If you got kids who, who are running around crawling on the floor that you would be the kind of a father that you get on the floor with them and you play with them. You're not just there to discipline them. You're there to shepherd their, their hearts. And at the end of the day when you put them to bed and you're exhausted and you're tired, as a man you still go and you head, go over to your wife and you take time to shepherd her heart and you take time to speak with her. Can I tell you, this is the kind of message that goes through me before it gets to you. And so God's been working on me this week. Just this past week, I came home and I was talking to Mirde and, and, and I just walked through the door and she said, hey, can we talk about this? And I said, I just don't feel like talking. You ever been there? And you know what I was reminded in that moment as I'm taking a look at a text like this, that, that we're the kind of people who are to be submissive, that, that we, are, we are to be obedient, that we work so hard, that when we get home, we are tired, but I need to check my heart before I walk through that door and say, Lord, with the same energy I gave to serving you today, may I put in that same energy in my home as I shepherd the hearts of my children and I shepherd the hearts of my wife. What a blessing it is when you put your head down on that pillow and you go to sleep. Can I tell you this this morning? A bored man is a dangerous man. What we tend to do when, when we find ourselves bored and going different places we shouldn't be going, we get into the trouble that we shouldn't be getting into. But when we stay focused on what God has called us to be focused on, we are not a bored man, we are blessed men indeed. And so when we're talking about submission, we're talking about obedience, we're talking about being the best worker that we can be. We're talking about being on time. We're talking about outdoing everyone else because we work not unto our bosses. We work unto the Lord. So the text says, servants, be submissive. Be submissive. Be submissive to your masters. That's the order that has been set. And then it says, with all fear. The attitude of submission is that of the fear of the Lord. Now, when it says fear there, it's not talking about the fear of man. It's not talking about fearing your boss. All throughout the first Peter, you'll see that whenever Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, refers to fear, he's referring to the fear of God, not the fear of man. And what motivates us to honor our bosses or honor those who are not deserving of honor is the fear of the Lord. Let me take you back to chapter 1, verse 17. It says, And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. In chapter 2, verse 17, he wrote this, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Are you supposed to fear the king? No, you are to honor the king. You're supposed to give proper respect to them. But the motivation for honoring those who aren't even deserving of it, whether they are or not, is our fear of the Lord. And so the question is always presented, are you talking about unquestioning obedience in the workplace? Absolutely not. Just in the same way we're not talking about unquestioning obedience when it comes to government, if you are ever asked to do that which is contrary to the will of God and to the word of God, you are to respectfully disobey. Now, we know we're in a different context. For us, if we need to make a complaint through HR, if that's your job, you can make that complaint. <laughs> if your boss is treating you not in a correct way, you have the option of leaving that position. Now, these individuals didn't. They're servants and they're slaves. 
Now, we have the opportunity to leave that position, but if God has called you to stay there, you better believe we've been called to be submissive, to honor those in positions of authority and to be obedient as we work the hardest that we can work, but we do it as unto the Lord. We're not doing it for the eye service of them. We're doing it for the eye service of God, and we're reminded our boss is always watching I don't know about you, but I want to give 110% unto the Lord. And so whatever you've been called to do, do it as unto the Lord. And so we see the attitude is, is that of fear. And then it tells us the extent of submission is unconditional. If we continue to read, it says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but to the harsh. Okay, now it's starting to get difficult, right? Because he clarifies for us. He says, yes, you should submit to the good and the gentle ones, the the ones who are kind to you, but you also need to submit to those who are harsh. The word harsh there is where we get uh, the word crooked. Um, It speaks of an individual who is morally crooked, an individual who mistreats us because of that. And if we are treated harshly, And we don't deserve it. We are still called to honor that person. And we're still called to submit to them and work hard in our service to them. That's difficult, right? And now we're really being pressed. We're being told that the extent of our submission should be unconditional. Then we get some clarification in verse 19. It says, for this is commendable. What's our motivation in submission to being submissive to those in authorities over us, it tells us it pleases God. It tells us in our text that uh, God, uh, we find ourselves in, in favor before him, and it tells us, for this is commendable. That, that word commendable is charis, where we get the word grace, we, t- we get the word favor. And so God finds it favorable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. And so what we're reminded of here is when it says, uh, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, it is commendable. And so what we're reminded of, what gives us the ability to submit, even when it's difficult, when our bosses are not gentle and good, but are actually harsh, uh, the motivation there is the very presence of God, being conscious of his, being mindful that God is there. You know, a good example of that in the Old Testament is Joseph. You think of a man who suffered unjustly and endured suffering. This was a man who endured it, but what got him through was being mindful of the presence of God. If you remember, Joseph was sold into slavery uh, by his brothers uh, during his time in Egypt. We know that uh, he found himself in Potiphar's household, and he, Potiphar uh, looked at uh, Joseph favorably. And then after that time, Potiphar's wife looked at Joseph and liked him and then started to sexually harass Joseph. And ultimately, she claimed that he did something that he did not and he ended up being thrown in prison. But this is what Genesis chapter 39 verse 21 says. Let me read this to you. But the Lord was with Joseph. This is after he's thrown into prison. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. What gives you the ability to be submissive when you are suffering unjustly is the fact that God is with you. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. If you want to Think about a man who suffered unjustly and endured it for the cause of Christ. And then the Lord blessed him in the end. Take a look at Joseph. And if you ever find yourself in a place where you got to stick around because that's where God has placed you during that time, take time to work and submit as unto the Lord as you serve those who are over you in authority. As we continue to read, we get more clarification Um, It says in verse 20, for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults that you take it patiently? (laughs) You know, if you do something wrong and and you get punished for it, you know, 
it's nothing special. It's not commendable. <laughs> you endure suffering because you messed up? Well, that's just how it is. You're the type of person who borrows from work, you know, the resources. I'll bring it back, right? No, no. You get caught, you get caught stealing stuff from, from the workplace and you get punished for it. You suffer justly. But then the text says, well, what happens when you are not deserving of it? It says in verse 20, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Now, in a moment, he's going to tell us why it's so commendable. And it's because Christ is our example. And we are no more like Christ than when we share in his suffering with him. This is a difficult text to read, to study. It's one thing to teach it. It's another thing to apply it. It's, it's one thing to, to, to submit when my boss is good and kind and gentle. It's another thing to submit when he's cruel and when he's crooked. Nevertheless, what we've been called to do is to be submissive. And ultimately, in a moment, we're going to see our example is that of Christ. And so, let me ask and answer the question, what kind of employee has God called you and me to be? He's called us to be those who are submissive. Be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. What does that look like for us this morning? This morning, I'd like to give us a couple takeaways, and it's in regards to our motivation in doing what is right. The first one is give the lost a reason to trust in Christ. As you interact with your boss and those in authority over you, take time to give others a reason to believe and to trust in Jesus. Continue to give your boss a reason to believe and trust in Jesus. Continue to give your fellow employees a reason to trust in Jesus by how hard you work, by your integrity, by being on time, by working as unto the Lord, and as in accordance with verses 11 to 12, in which we are heavenly citizens with earthly responsibilities, we can shine the light of Christ and point them to the Lord Jesus. You know, this is a great motivation. When you wake up in the morning and you're heading to work in the morning, you should take some time to talk before the Lord and say, Lord, today as I head in, may I give people a reason to trust in you. And for those who already believe in you, a reason to continue to believe in you and to continue to trust in you. And Howard Hendricks once told a story about uh, how he was uh, boarding a plane one day and it, it was uh, delayed, waiting forever. And you know, when those planes get delayed, sometimes people start to get irritated and frustrated. And as they were boarding the plane, one guy in particular, he was, he just lost it. And he started to go off on, uh, on, the, on the flight attendant. And this flight attendant was so kind. She was gracious. She was courteous. She was patient. And she worked with this guy and calmed him down. And he was so irritable. He said things he probably shouldn't have said. And, and as the flight got going, Howard Hendricks, he, he called her over, the flight attendant. And he said, ma'am, I'd like to know your name so that I can commend, commend you to your employer. And you know what she told Howard Hendricks? She said, I don't work for American Airlines. I work for the Lord Jesus Christ. And she continued to share with him that every morning when she leaves the house, she takes time to pray with her husband that she can give those around her a reason to believe in Jesus. This morning, when we leave the house, may we be that type of person who leaves trying to give others around us a reason to believe in Jesus. Second takeaway would this be this, not just give the lost a reason to trust in Christ, but obey God and leave the consequences to him. You know, you, you take a look at something like this and sometimes you have questions of, God, why am I being mistreated like this? Why am I being treated like, I don't deserve this. What have I done wrong? Some of us wonder, why am I asked, why am I the only one who is being treated this way and everyone else doesn't have to be treated this way? I mean, it, it really gets to me. What we're told here in our text is simply obey and leave the consequences to him. You know, there are times when you're in the workplace, you're an employer, or employee, excuse me, and, and you find yourself making these hard decisions. And what does that look like moving forward? I still remember when I was in seminary, um, I was attending a church for a good amount of time and um, uh, I wanted to then go take the next step and intern under the pastor there. And 
so I had talked to the pastor and I said, hey, I'd love to come under you and be mentored by you. And uh, so we agreed to all this. And one of the guys who was on staff as well, he was the associate pastor at the time, good friend of mine, we're also attending seminary together. Uh, he ended up getting let go from the church right around this time. And I got a call from him when all this happened and he wasn't happy and we started to have a conversation and he said, hey, this is what happened. Uh, I didn't like it. I don't agree with it, but I'd recommend that you don't go through with this internship. I'd recommend that you leave the church as I'm going to leave the church. And I really appreciated my friend. He really uh, was uh, a a mentor in my life as well, and and he did a lot for me. But I just took time to pray to the Lord. And those are times when you're like, God, what do you you want me to do here? And I just kind of got the Lord, the sense of the Lord telling me, obey me and leave the consequences to me. Trust me through this and leave the consequences to me. And can I tell you, I came under that pastor, and for that next year, I was mentored by him, and I was blessed greatly. As if you come through under anybody, he was a great example to follow in so many, so many ways, but he was also an example to avoid in some ways as well, just as you might come under someone as well. But can I tell you, as I had an opportunity to submit myself under his authority and come under him to be mentored, I was blessed greatly. And I'm just reminded of a text like this to trust God, to obey God, and then leave the results to him. You may not want to submit. You may not want to honor the person. You may want to talk about them behind their back, but the Bible tells us, instructed by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that we are to be submissive. Is that easy? No. But we're reminded earlier in the chapter that we are living stones Connected to the living stone, which means that we have the resurrection life of Christ living in us. And you may have to do this every day as you go to work every day. But may you pray, Lord, give me the ability and the power to honor my boss. To work hard and diligently and to shine the light of Christ in the workplace. And so first, first, the command we are called to, uh, to obey, the kind of employee God has called us to be is a submissive one. Secondly, the kind of employee God has called us to be is one who follows the example of Christ. Uh, we then continue to read and we get to see the example that we've been called to follow. As we pick up in the next verse, verse 21, it says, for to this you were called. What is this we're talking about? We're talking about enduring suffering unjustly. Now, if you get into certain circles of churches or certain circles of people, they will tell you that God's desire for you is not suffering. God's desire is prosperity, that your bank accounts would be full, that you would be healed of any personal sicknesses. But if you don't like the idea of suffering now in the text, This is just when he begins to talk about it. I know it as we've been walking through. He's talking to a people who are are godly, living in an ungodly world, and they're suffering because of it. This is the first time in 1 Peter that we see the word suffering, but that's a word that we will continue to see again and again and again. Listen, we're reminded that we are temporary residents, aliens, of this world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world, and we are passing through the world. And as we don't share the same values as the world, one of the results of that is suffering. And what we're told here is this is to what we have been called. But can I remind us as we walk through the text and continue through 1 Peter, the suffering now that we may experience doesn't compare to the glory of heaven later. And what motivates us is fixing our eyes on the reward of heaven. And so it says here, for to this you were called to endure suffering, unjust suffering. Why? Because Christ also suffered for us. And Jesus says, if anyone desires to follow after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and he must follow me. Jesus is saying, Uh, ultimately, you must be willing to follow me, even if that means suffering, even if that means losing your life. So for this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. And then it says that you should follow his steps. The word example there in the Greek is the word underwriting. 
It speaks of an individual who's tracing an alphabet, and then someone goes over and is learning the alphabet and traces it. And so when we're talking about following in his steps, we're, we're talking about someone who's going on a hike like a father and a son, and he, or a father and a child, and, and they're making their hike up, and the father leads the way. He takes one step at a time, and his son is following in his steps right on up. You remember in the 1990s, these uh, WWJD bracelets were really popular? Uh, it started with a book in the 1900s, and a lady got a hold of them. She started to make these bracelets. What would Jesus do? It's actually based on this text. As we follow in Jesus' steps, people started, these kids started wearing these bracelets. What would Jesus do? So, so as you go about your day and as you make decisions and in your relationships, you should ask the question before you make the decision, well, in this certain circumstance, what would Jesus do? And what the basis of that was, was following in his steps. Jesus is our example, and we follow in his steps. And we're reminded when we stand up for the cause of Christ, when we share the gospel message of Christ, there may be times when we find ourselves suffering for the cause of Christ. Now, some people, they'll be in the workplace and and they end up losing their job because they shared the gospel. You, ever, if you, ever, you might talk to somebody like this. And uh, one of the follow-up questions should always be, were, were you sharing the gospel when you should have been working? I mean, that's something to think about. I mean, if you're going to, to, to be a good example for the cause of Christ, you work hard. You do your time. You, 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 you fulfill the task that you've been called to do. But when it's time to share, the, go ahead and share the gospel. That's not suffering uh, unjustly, and so we should, we should, we should follow in his steps, follow his example, and then it tells us how to follow in his example. Verse twenty-two: Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the sinless one. He is the blameless one. When we're talking about Jesus here, it's bringing us back to Isaiah fifty-three that paints Jesus as the suffering servant. Can I take you back to Isaiah 53 and we'll read the first nine verses. It says, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness and when we see him, there, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid it as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and, and by his stripes we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment. Who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. Verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Jesus is the suffering servant in whose steps we are called to follow. As the suffering servant, what example does he set for us? One that is holy, one that is set apart, one that is blameless. It says there was no deceit found in his mouth. What does that tell us for those of us who are employees? That tells us we should maintain our integrity. We should be honest. We should be truthful. You don't fudge the numbers. You work as you do it unto the Lord and you glorify him and you submit to your boss as you fear the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we've been called to do. We've been called to a life of integrity. And if in any way you have not been walking in integrity, that you would follow in his steps, follow his example and do what he did. 
If your boss should ever ask you to do something that is contrary to the will of God and the word of God, even fudging those numbers, you are first and foremost called to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, even if that means you should suffer unjustly. And ultimately, we're reminded the reason you can suffer unjustly is because you can know that if you do suffer unjustly, God is with you and God will take care of you. Just as he took care of Joseph, he will take care of you. Jesus was blameless. As we continue to read, it says he was reviled but did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus did not repay evil for evil. When he was reviled and came under the abuse of others, he did not abuse them back. What we're reminded that we are called to do is we are to follow the example of Christ, even if that means suffering unjustly. And then it says, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. What does that mean there? Ultimately, God will take care of you. You say, I don't understand why I'm being mistreated. I don't understand why this is happening to me. Obey God and leave the consequences to him, And as you look back on it, you will learn God has taken care of you. He is taking care of you and he will take care of you. Follow in his steps, maintain your integrity, be a hard worker, serve as unto the Lord and entrust yourself to the righteous judge. As we continue to read verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Why did Jesus suffer unjustly? He suffered unjustly for our sake, for you and for me. As we read verse 24, we learn that the death that he died and the suffering that he endured unjustly was in order to be our substitute. Read 24 with me carefully. Who himself bore our sins, our sins in his own body on the tree. Jesus was blameless. Jesus was sinless. But the reason he was blameless and sinless was in order that he might die as our substitute so that he went to the cross, he would bear our sins so that our sins could be forgiven and so that he might transfer to our account righteousness, a right standing before God. In terms of scripture, that's called justification. We're declared righteous before a holy God and that's why Jesus suffered unjustly for you and for me. Well, it's a reminder that if ever we have to suffer unjustly, we may not understand why we have to experience it, but we can be reminded that we're doing it to shine the light of Christ and to impact others for the cause of Christ and point them to him. Who himself bore our sins to his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. Then it says in verse 24, by whose stripes you were healed. This morning, we're reminded that he was wounded so that you and I might be healed. We're reminded this morning that you and I are born into this world broken. We're born into this world sinful. We're born into this world separated from God. We're born into this world with a heart that is very deceitful, that will tell us that we are better than we are, that will lie to us and say the bad that you've, been, you've done can be outdone by the good that you do. And the reality is that is not true. We're reminded in a text like this that what brings healing, what brings salvation, that which brings ultimate fulfillment that we so long for and desire is by his stripes, his suffering that he endured unjustly, we have been healed. Spiritually speaking, we are born wounded, broken, but Christ is our healer. Now, some people take a look at text like this and say, we're just talking about spiritual healing or physical healing as well. I want you to know this morning that God cares about you as a whole. He cares about you spiritually. He cares about you physically. But this promise isn't necessarily that you will be healed in this life, but the promise is you will be healed. Make no doubt about that. 
whether it's in this life or the life to come, you will be made whole physically, spiritually, emotionally, and you will be as God has called you to be in a glorified state. What a wonderful thing you and I have to look forward to. You know, when we're, we were walking through this text, I always like to allow the text to guide our conversation. And when we came to this conversation about servants being submissive, I got to say that, that I was tempted to begin the text, not in verses uh, 21 to 25, or I mean, start the text in verses 18 to 20. I was tempted to start in verse 21 to 25 because I'd love to start with the example of Christ. But I love how the, the text guides our conversation because he doesn't begin with the example of Christ. He begins with the command to obey because what we've been called to do in our relationship with the Lord is to trust God, that he knows what he's telling us. You go back to the garden. You consider Adam and Eve. God wanted them to trust him. Don't eat of that tree because when you eat of that tree, there are consequences that are deadly he wanted them to obey him because they trusted him. God has called you and I to obey him even when we don't understand him because we trust him. This is really about who you believe God to be. And this morning, we're reminded God is our holy creator. Heaven and earth and everything in it. He uniquely created you. He's eternal. There's no one like him. All powerful, all knowing, all present. But he is also intensely personal. How well do you know God? Because how well you know him will ultimately reflect in how you trust him. And... For some of us who are not enduring unjust suffering this morning, this is a text to say, yeah, okay, I can do that. But when you're in the middle of the storm, when you're in the middle of the fight, that's when it's hard and that's when it's difficult. But we've been called to trust God and leave the consequences to him. And as we trust him, one step at a time, we follow his example. You know, when you wake up in the morning and you serve the Lord and you have to suffer unjustly, you take one step. Tomorrow you wake up in the morning and then you have to take another step following the example of Christ. The thing about the Christian life is we follow the example of Christ one step at a time. That's what discipleship is all about. Verse 24 who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. Verse 25, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We're reminded that prior to Jesus coming into our life, we were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd tend to wander they're looking to eat, but they don't know where to go. And they, they need a shepherd to guide them and direct them. You know, prior to the Lord Jesus Christ coming into our lives, we're, we're kind of like we're in darkness, you know, fumbling around in the darkness, trying to take hold of this philosophy or, or that religion, thinking that is the, the way to truth. That's the way to ultimate fulfillment. That's the way to salvation. But we're reminded that Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays his life down for the sheep. And the, and the key to, to, to what happens when we enter into a relationship with him is it says, we who are like a, shepherd go, a sheep going astray have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. We're reminded as sheep, the shepherd is leading us and guiding us. Uh, sheep tend to be a bit foolish. They tend to wander their own way. It's not very not very much of a compliment for us to be referred to as sheep. They tend to stray. But the reason we're called sheep here is because we're called to turn to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. What we're told here is that as our shepherd, he guides us and directs us and takes care of us. Can I ask you this morning, do you believe that God is guiding your life? Can you trust him? Can you trust him whether you're in the green pastures, but also when you're in the valley of the shadow of death? Can you, can you still trust him to know that he's going to get you to the other side, even if you are enduring unjust suffering? He is the shepherd who will guide and direct your 
path. Do you believe that? But not only is he the shepherd who guides you, he's the overseer who keeps you. And just as you have been saved and justified in this process of sanctification, he is the one who's going to keep you to the very end. This message is really the application is you can trust him. If you haven't trusted him, today is the day to to trust in him, to put your faith in him. If you've never admitted your need for Jesus, you've never admitted that your heart is, is broken, that it's, it's bent towards rebellion and not obedience, the invitation this morning is that you would turn to Christ and him crucified and say, Jesus, I need you. I know that there is something that separates me from you, and I don't really understand what that is. Well, the Bible calls that sin. The Bible tells us that it's our hearts that are in a state of rebellion against God, but that's why Jesus came to bridge the gap, to forgive our sins, and to grant us everlasting life. This morning, the invitation is to trust him. If you have trusted him, continue to trust him. Are you going through a valley of the shadow of death? Are you finding it difficult to submit to those who are in authority over you? Obey God and then leave the consequences to him and see if not God will take care of you. And we bow in prayer. Father, this morning I want to pray for anyone who's here and uh, Lord, as they hear the, what the Christ has done for us, Uh, and they have never fully embraced that, never trusted in Jesus as their substitute to forgive them of their sins and grant them eternal life. I pray that this can be the moment that they confess you as Savior and Lord, not simply because they're saying the prayer, but because they mean it genuinely from their heart. Father, I recognize that uh, there's something that separates me from you, and I know what it is this morning. It's sin. My sin has consequences. That consequence is an eternity without you and your people forever. But I believe that's why you sent Jesus to bridge the gap between me and you, to remove the barrier of sin, to be my substitute on that cross so that I might receive the righteousness of God, a right standing before God. Today, I make a commitment to make Jesus my savior I make a commitment to make him my Lord, the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life into eternity. Father, I do want to also pray this morning for anyone who finds themselves facing difficult decisions in regards to their employment situation. Father, those who find it difficult to honor their bosses, folks who find it difficult to to be submissive as we're called to in your word, And I pray, Lord, that you would enable us and empower us to to be the kind of employees you call us to be, to work hard, to be on time, to give 110% so that at the end of the day, we've worked so hard that when we put our head down on that pillow, we go out immediately because we worked as unto the Lord. Pray, Father, that you would challenge us this morning to be the people of God that you've called us to be. And as we do that, before an unbelieving world, fellow employees or bosses who don't know you, we pray that that light would so shine that they would ask questions, that they would attend church or even come to a meal so that they might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and receive faith in you so that on the day of visitation, they glorify you as well. Father, we thank you for your word and we just wanna say we trust you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.